Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Oh, so what is your latest winter update? How how good or bad is it currently? It is, uh, today is a beautiful day. Went out for a, a nice ride. And uh, sunshiny, blue skies, very sloppy, because we had an ice storm yesterday and all the ice uh, melted, but now it's, it's, yeah, we had an ice storm, but that was fine. It knocked out the internet and everything else, but we're, we're up and running, you know, winter's an adventure. <laughs> Do you have a personal arborist yet? Well, this is the thing that just kills me because we we do actually have an arborist and we paid them quite a bit of money to take down all the dead limbs and all this stuff to prevent exactly what happened from happening. And it happened anyway. Uh, mm. to, I'm not going to blame the arborist because this giant white pine in the backyard, just, you know, pine trees are, are known for crackling and shedding. It was a lot of ice, like a lot, a lot of ice. So... That's what it is. Up and running. Oof. Yeah. Ice storms, man. There's just, there's no good to those. There's no good to them. They're very pretty. Like when the sun comes out and it looks all magical, if you don't have to leave your window. <laughs> right. But like that's, or drive yeah, anywhere. Yeah. 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 Very, it looks kind of magical, but, but yeah, just, ice is. Ice is ice. But we start our, I know you had your grasshopper uh, mm-hmm. last, and we start our Kermesse Spring Classics this Sunday. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. The Sourland Semi-Classic. Okay. Well. Uh, and it looks to be uh, your weather. It might be showery in about in the 50s, so. Okay. Well, I can yeah. recommend yeah. some great all-season tires if you need. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was on a uh, this Goodyear all season, a 32 millimeter, essentially slick, just about a slick um, on Saturday. And it was an awesome tire through all the water and, you know, steep switchbacks going down and everything else under the sun. And then like the final, whatever, three miles of the race uh, is uh, a dirt climb. Mm hmm. And, and was it sinky? Was it quick sandy? It wasn't quick sandy, but it was soft. And, you know, there were some moments of, you know, little slidey here, little slidey there. And then there are three really steep pitches, two right together that are called the sisters. And, you know, I got 12 They're feet. They're always called the sisters. How many places do you know that there are sisters? I, or bitches? I mean, I, can we say that in the show? Yeah. Like, yeah. they're either the sister or both. Um, right. But everybody's got them in maybe multiples. It's interesting. How Like, how many sisters? Because there's the seven sisters in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. We have, like, the three bitches right in our backyard. But, like, every time I talk to somebody, there's always, like, sisters or... Yeah. And they're always, like, punchy climbs, right? Yeah. 
Is that what? Yeah. Well, these are steep sections of a much longer climb. And uh, yeah. Being how long? Well, the climb itself is three point something miles, uh, maybe a little longer than that. Um, and you're, I don't know, two miles in, uh, two and a half miles in when you hit these things. And it's like 18%. Oh, wow. then, yeah. it, then it flattens <laughs> out to, you know, a lovely 11%. And then it gets steep again to like 19, 20%. And then really rolls off right after that. So the funny thing is you're on like 4% and can only go, you know, like four miles an hour because you're just so blown. But <laughs> I was missing my 34. Uh, that is a long story there that will turn up in the post. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, without a 34 and with slick tires, I rolled about 12 feet into oh, the first sisters and just had to get off and walk. Yeah. 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 Slicks don't get you very far. Yeah. I'm told I was a little, a little pale at the finish. Some people commented that when I first uh, got up there that they weren't really sure that it was me. What was that about? Did you feel pale? I, I felt completely blown apart. Um, huh. Dismembered would be a fair term. Um, Drawn and quartered. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there weren't any blades involved, but I'd been pulled (laughs) apart. Uh, It was, uh, yeah, it was one of those days where I simply didn't eat enough, didn't drink enough. Right. The course was just so, uh, it was so that, you know, there are long stretches where I just, I couldn't drink. You know, I I wasn't going to take a hand off the handlebar or you know, I could have gotten the hand off the handlebar on the climb, but I was breathing so hard, I would have, you know, aspirated uh, whatever I was trying to drink, you know? Uh, <laughs> so Doesn't go into your lungs. Yeah, it shouldn't anyway. So it was, uh, it was a tough day. Um, things came around some toward the end there. I, I felt pretty good on the climb until I got to the sisters, you know? It's all good. It's a, yeah. It was a proper humbling. I went out for a humbling, and I got what I was looking for. I have we can have a separate conversation about what I was looking for, of course. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. Well, let's jump into our polls here. Uh, you're going to lead this out. What do we got this week? Uh, we have more listener uh, input and questions, and always like that. So it's exciting. Yeah. Uh, the, the first one is uh, something I don't think we've talked about. It's night riding. No. A lot of people went, a lot of people went out to the 24 hours of El Pueblo mm-hmm. this past weekend, which might be one of the last ones standing, right? Wow. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know if you were into that scene back in the that day. Was never I was really into much. that scene. I can imagine. Yeah, no, I was, <laughs> I was very into that scene back in the day, and... Back in the day, and that was what the mid '90s, maybe. Yeah, they they were they were super popular. You know, the Laird Knight had started the the whole thing with Canaan. Yep, and that was the first one I did. We had another one here. Then he did the Canaan in Moab, and there might have been one in California somewhere. Kelseyville. I can't remember. Donder- uh, I believe. Yeah, somewhere. I believe it was Kelseyville, and that was a friend of mine organizing that one. Yep. Yeah, th- yeah, there were there were they were just a thing. Yeah, they had Very like much. a world. Yeah, national championship and all that. So that one somehow has maintained, and it is still like it's still gets a huge crowd. And I think it maybe might be the time of year, you know, 
but it's still kind of cold. Like people, you look at people and they do not look like they're warm in Arizona. Right. And I've heard it has rained there during the race in the past. Quite a bit. Yes. I've heard that too. People get it. There is nothing. I, that is, I will just say the first time that I did, I did the 24 hours of Canaan, which is down in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard in West Virginia. It's it's it, the, the the it's called the Mountain State for a reason. Those those mountains are steep and relentless. We don't have the same kind of things as Colorado in the West. I know, but it's more like doing hill repeats up like twelve percent grades, mm-hmm. in thirteen it, endlessly. And I'm used to rocks, but West Virginia has roots, right? And when yeah, dude, when roots and they're always wet because it's West Virginia. Um, I don't think wet roots, roots, roots ever get exposed and are dry. <laughs> I just don't oh, think that's a thing. It's just so, it's so hairy. And I was on a 26 inch bike and no, it was just nuts, nuts. But anyway, there is nothing. I have always believed that there are certain hours that whether you're going out or coming in or you're partying, whatever, everybody should be tucked into bed, right? Like everybody <laughs> should be sleep, <laughs> sleeping. And the last thing you want to be... I was just so sad to have to get on my bike at like 3.30 in the morning. Like I literally, it was just like the, it's a really hard to ride your mountain bike. It's not just the night. It's 3.30 in the morning when your circadian rhythms are all out. So, so anyway. Were you doing it solo or as part of a team? No, I was part of a team. And that's funny too, because, because you stop losing the ability to think. So everybody, like if we were on a team, we would be sitting around the cabin, right? And it's two o'clock in the morning and somebody would be like, okay, who's on course? And you'd be like, okay, Greg's on course. Great, great. Who's up? Brian's up. Okay, good, good, good. And then 30 seconds later, who's on course? You know, it's just like, it's, it's like a comedy. Like, who's, who's up? When am I up? You can't even, we're writing it on the, like, we're trying to keep track on like a whiteboard and you, Greg, know, you just can't Greg's think. Greg's on course. You just, right. You cannot process like what is going on. Um, you know, they were, fu- it was, they're hard. It's really, really hard. And I've done it with two. I did, uh, with Robbie Lickenwalter here was like hotshot back in the day, state champ kind of guy. And we, we had, we did the PA state champs and had a very good run, but two people is even harder because I'd rather do solo than duo. Right. Cause if I'm solo, I can just go to bed. If I'm solo and I'm not feeling it, I can go, you know what? I'm going to sleep for three hours. But when you have like one other person, you can't really do that. Oh. Especially if, you know what I'm saying? Bailing. Like, because you're like. Yeah. 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 You can't. You, you got just, another person you depending on you. Yes. Um, we had it set up pretty well. Like he had a, a camper. So he put it about a mile, not even a mile, half mile from the start finish or so. So he would like bang on the camper as he was coming by and it would be my turn. So I would have to like get up and start getting ready. But the misery, the misery is deep throughout the night sometimes. I mean, once I'm out there, it's like, it's kind of mad, like, and this comes into the night riding. So when we did Canaan, that was my, I did some practice night rides around here, but that was my first venture into like two hours or so or longer, like, like a long pull because we were trying to take some double laps and stuff. And I was shocked that both of my night laps were faster than my day laps on the course. So this, the, the woman, which is funny. So the woman who, who wrote to us, you know, was, was the opposite. She was just like, she, she didn't, I don't think she finished mm-hmm. because she just couldn't. She said a lot of interesting things. She was, 
uh, surprised at how scared she was, and she also felt really bad. And I, you know, I know that this is an everything thing, but I also feel like it's a woman thing. She felt so bad about being in people's way. Oh, on uh, on the course, and I'm always like, you belong on the race course. If you are racing, it is everyone. You belong there. You are you are participating. It is their job. And whether I'm trying to pass someone or being passed, I feel like it is a passer's job to get around the person in front yeah right like you are not obligated it's nice like if there's a leader coming through and they're like hey i'm leaving do you mind of course if if, if yep. i'll try to make as much room as possible and i respect when people do that for me it's, it's i very much appreciate it but in the general scheme of things it is not your responsibility to step off course whenever people want to pass you or to, or to make, and you shouldn't feel bad. And I, I know that's a, I know that becomes a thing, particularly in, in mountain bike races for sure. Oh yeah. And she was, yeah. And she was probably going fair. If she was scared and it sounds like she was pretty scared, she was probably going pretty slow. And out there, the cactus sort of thing, like out oh here, gosh. right? So, yeah. So you don't want to going off course at night probably is more of an issue for that reason alone. But I, but my my experience is is that people who uh, are she also sounded like she wasn't super experienced mountain biking because I know that a lot of people who are super experienced with mountain biking often do quite well on technical terrain at night because you can't see all the stuff you shouldn't be looking at, and that was the case in Canaan. Canaan <laughs> had terrifying stuff everywhere, but at night, all I saw was straight in front of me, right. Uh-huh. So you just follow your line. It makes it actually shockingly easier because you're so focused on just where you're going. Like uh-huh. you don't see the drop off or the big bold or all that other stuff. You're just like, this is the trail. This is my line. This is where. And you're, if your light is on your helmet, you're, it's super focused because your eyes and your light are going in the they same track, direction. Yeah, they track together. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting. And I feel very... Um, sounds kind of crazy and woo-woo, but it, it, it's very primitive. I mean, you feel like you're, all your animal baby bear instincts coming to the front. You know what I mean? Like You feel like sure. all your hair is standing up and you can hear and you're just so buzzing because all your senses yep. are super on. Yep. So I, I always, I've always quite liked it. We've done, you know, there's like wildlife and stuff. You know, that said, when you're out in Canaan and you the field gets stretched out and you're alone for a good hour. You know, that's, that's a little weird. It's a little weird to be by yourself, I, even on a race course. I can um, imagine. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. And that was back in the day with a uh, huge ass, those, those clowns. They all raced in one pair of bike shorts if they wore shorts at all. They shared <laughs> shorts. Like they would get into the, they'd get in the transition and they'd strip off. They had beater, they were amazing. They had be, a beater bikes. And I watched these guys, like the, their wheels would be tacoed and they'd take them off and slam them on rocks and put them back on. And in their chamois that they've just shared, just roll off into the most gnarly stuff that people would, if you rode that on a dual suspension, you'd talk about how rad you were all day. And they were on like these trash pick. It was amazing. It was, it was, they were, they were phenomenal. They were like, they could have been Red Bull riders, some of these guys, I think. They were, they were just, so talented. Wow. But, uh, yeah, th- I mean, that, that was, I think that's the, there's a lot of camaraderie that happens with 24, and I think that's what the, the old Pueblo still taps into. You know, it's very tribal. Everyone shows up, they set up camp in the desert, they do this thing, and for a whole day, this whole 
event is going on and there's a lot to talk about at the end of the at the end of the day uh but yeah riding that night i mean i think the thing i think i think you just have to practice it and get used to it and just just trust the your vision like you're going you're following your light you know i, I that, that said i know people who road ride around here at night and no way no way no i won't go out on the road uh at night period and it, it's yeah is that strictly I mean, I, a car thing and getting plowed down it's a woman thing oh. quite frankly oh um even though i feel very safe here as a woman like riding alone at night at backcountry roads sounds like every horror movie you've ever seen in your entire life oh yeah so yeah. It wouldn't be I wouldn't be afraid of being hit by the cars. Mm-hmm. I would be afraid that Jason, Michael, Freddy Krueger, who else? I Climbs don't know. Out of car all, and pulls you into car. All yeah, the Texas chainsaw guy, they're all piled in a car. Mm. You know, like any car I would envision would have a monster in the behind the wheel. So, I would just never be I would never be comfortable doing that ever. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and but that the last part I have on riding at night is uh, there is a Kansas ride, the Lunar Kansas, that I would actually love to do. Like go out mm-hmm. into the prairie on a full moon night. Because we've done some super moon rides here and that kind of stuff. And, you know, the, when I lived in Philly, you could actually turn off your lights because there was enough light pollution and the light would be uh, bright enough mm-hmm. that you didn't even need lights to do rides in the city parks. Wow. Yeah. But I would always make sure whenever I ride at night, even on the trails, that I am not the last person because that's who the Blair Witch gets. So you just make sure that you are <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> so it's yes. like this, the, the, the rule about bear attacks. Uh, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than someone else. A hundred percent. I'm just like, I will not be at the, I won't be the last person, not the caboose. No, I will be in the... Uh, I'll be in the middle. There was one night ride we did where you can't even make it up. Uh, and this was before sort of cell phones were a thing. Three people broke their chains and we all got lost. So people are scootering. I literally thought that we were going to have to, for the for only time in my life, like try to, and it was going to get cold, like try to like survive, like real survive, like mm-hmm. huddle in the woods and you know, somehow, by the grace of God, we made it out. But that's my night riding. And uh, I don't know if I've helped that woman at all, but well, let shit, me, th- there's hope. Let me ask you a question. Uh, sure. When you're out there, do you only do a light on your helmet or do you do one on the bike as well? The lights back in the day when the lights were, um, yes, back in the day, literally the batteries, cage. yes, yes, exactly what I was going to say. And yet the illumination was candles of something. It wasn't mm-hmm. so bright. Um, yeah. you had to like, right. I would have one of my bars and one on my helmet and that would kind of be enough. I, I've never liked the one in the bars because it's jittery. It, 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 unlike the helmet one where it's, where it's pointed where I want to go, the handlebars aren't always doing that for you. And I find that a little distracting. So now that the, these lights are amazing, I have a Lupine Pico. Mm-hmm. It's like a stadium light. The thing is amazing. You know, it's so light. It sits on the top of my helmet. The battery is so – it just straps onto the helmet too. And that's all I would run. I would, I would probably have something backup, maybe just in case. 
because uh-huh. there's nothing worse than having no lights when it's when you actually need them. But uh, yeah, yeah I usually just much. run the one. <laughs> yes, yes, most people are. But yeah, that's I would just run. Uh, yeah, I would just run a helmet right. But like when we do the cross series downtown where I live, that is always at night during the the fall. I just run the one light on my helmet. Mm. Yeah. Okay. No right. No no night riding. For, are you a night rider? I've been wanting to do more. I just haven't really been able to make you things. You need friends. You need buddies. That's that's helpful. And like the night rides that, um, officially speaking, there are no night rides here <laughs> because state parks and laws. Uh, oh, but right. the friends of mine who will happen to pedal bicycles at nighttime in certain places, no names mentioned, of places or people, uh, they're they're doing it at a point when I'm you know feeding my boys or trying to right. get them into bed and you know by the time I can head out you know everybody's back at Trailhouse having beers. Yeah, no, I do far less of it now for that reason. Now that Juniper's a little older, my daughter's a little older, it's easier again. Mm-hmm. But there is that transitional time when you can't really leave the kids alone at that. You know that that yeah, the night riding just becomes a. Yeah. harder thing to pull off yeah so uh, that's a challenge but i will say that you know for me um i like having the two lights you know I, I i my general feeling is if you're not feeling comfortable on terrain just throw more lumens at it uh m- more light will generally help uh because and it might help with the shadows. I mean, because sometimes the depth perception can be a little funky oh. if you're on technical yeah. terrain. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, people used to rave about, you know, night skiing back when I was in New England, and I flippin' hated that it. That sounds, really? That sounds amazing. That does sound kind of amazing. Oh, I'm not much of a skier. It ought to be. Was it cross country or Nordic? Or well, I've, I've, done, I've done Alpine as well. Um, oh, well, but the, the slopes are lit up, or no? Uh-huh. When you do Alpine. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I've even done, really nice. I've even done lit, uh, Nordic skiing. I've done moonlit Nordic skiing, but all of it, all the shadows are eliminated. And so your entire sense of any undulation in terrain goes right out the window, you know, stuff that yeah. looks flat, you're getting bumped around on. And so the moment I think about nighttime activity, that's not, that's anything other than a walk, uh, my brain is going, mm, 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 mm. Because I just, I really, except for those occasions when the, the touring center I worked for, when we would do uh, midnight skis out to a field and serve uh, spiced cider uh, to whoever mm-hmm. had shown up, except for those where we were really, you know, doing classic and going slow and it was about seeing the sights, skiing, in the dark, even with lights, was just not fun because I could never see what the terrain was doing. Hated it. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I'm not. I'm not enough of a skier to to really envision or speak to that. But you know, I, I just, I'm just picturing the moon and the snow and think, wow, that sounds really cool. Yeah. But I can, yeah, I can see what you. But I mean, if I'd I had a good saying. headlamp as I was doing that it probably would have improved a whole lot, you know, because what you're yeah. looking for is, are shadows and shading and, you know, some sense of texture. Uh, and that's all the stuff that, you know, under 
the equivalent, you know, I mean, it's a great big bright light, but it's also, you know, 70 feet away. So it might as well be a 40 watt nightlight. Um, and, and, you know, it just, it, it, it's like, okay, I can tell I'm still on, on the trail, but I can't tell much else. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of, of advice for her, but what I will say is, yeah, just throw more lumens at it. That if that doesn't solve it, it's probably not going to get solved for a little while. And I do. F- yeah. And, and you do belong there. Don't I think yes. that getting jittery because you're worried about holding people up and all that. That's I thought that always makes me sad. That bums me out when I hear people talk that way. Cause it's just, yep. and you know, cause I, I try to encourage people to go out and, and, you know, and she did say people were super friendly and people are really super friendly out there uh, at that event. Good. You, you still feel, I, I know that you still feel when you have a conga line behind you that, Oh yeah. 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 No, I'm totally in touch it's, because when I do Wente, that's an eight hour race, you know, it's a whatever, eight ish mile, uh, course. Yeah. About an eight mile loop. Um, and yeah, I get people coming up on me and, uh, I'll usually, as I hear them coming, I'll usually call back and say, Hey, I'm looking for a spot where I can get out of the way. Yeah. That's for two reasons. One, they really don't want you tearing up anything that's not trail. And so they really, really want you to stay on the trail absolutely at all times. Then there's the other reality of, okay, say you're just going to ignore what they've asked you to do. Have you ever heard of poison oak? I have heard that you guys have it bad out there. You know, just diving off into into the understory the moment somebody comes up behind you is a really just, just wily coyote bad plan. It's that's a, that's it's it's such a it's such a West Coast thing. Oh, yeah. Like whenever I go out there, people talk about it like like it's Freddy Krueger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I, no, it is such, the there's boogeyman. Such a fear about yeah. There's a there's definitely this thing yeah. that you don't hear people talk about poison ivy that way here. I mean, yeah. you would never hear somebody talk about poison the, ivy like yeah. That. The the oil just isn't as bad. It's not as aggressive. Poison ivy won't leave scars. Uh, oh no! I've I mean, got scarring on my body that's going to take another six months to clear up. From, yeah, from last I remember November. talking to Vernon Felton. Like he was like just mental about it. Like almost like ingesting it to try to make himself, yeah. you know, like yeah. impervious to it or something. It was just it's a thing. Yeah, I mean, if they come up with a miracle cure, uh, you know, I'm I'm in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, I should say, you know, one of my last, uh, if I have another piece of advice. Uh, for her, you know, it's, uh, you know, communicating is always so helpful in so many different circumstances. So as she hears people coming up from behind them, um, she can call out to them say, you know, hey, I, I hear you coming up, you know, and she can say, I'm going to pull over or there's a wider spot coming up where you can get around me. And I think that really helps a lot of people who think that you're, who, who might be concerned that you're going to be a jerk and not get out of the way. I think it helps right. them relax so that they don't just, you know, preemptively be a jerk to you. Um, right. And I, I've certainly come up on racers who are like, uh, it's really skinny here. I'm, I'm trying. I'm like, take your time. You know, I am not winning yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, and just call, you <laughs> know, I chill. tell people, like, call a side, whatever, let me know what side. Uh, do not, if you are passing someone ever, if someone is riding their bicycle in front of you and you are riding your bicycle too, don't ever scream rider back. 
Because that person is riding, too. That is my huge... I'm just like, yeah, we're all riding. Whenever I hear somebody yelling, I'm just like, I get that when you're hiking up, like, people are hiking on the trail in front of you with their bikes pushing, and you're riding. I totally get that. But if everybody is riding, do not be that guy yelling, rider back, because everybody is riding their bicycles. Yeah. Just... Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, opening lap of Wente uh, this past year, you know, there's a big ass conga line of us uh, on uh, on a flat section before the first descent. And this guy comes up behind me. He's obviously been elbowing people out of the way, comes up behind me and yells track. And what does that mean? Well, that's what you say in cyclocross to, like, get people to, like, let you have the primary line. It's the same thing as rider back track. And oh, okay. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm on the trail. I'm behind a guy who's behind a guy who's behind a guy who's behind a guy. And he says that, and then he yells it again. And I'm like, I don't think so, buddy. You know, I I can't go any faster because there are people in front of me. And then he just completely cut the course, shaved off two different switchbacks to get by people. It's like, wow. Okay. Um, some people, some people's children, yeah. they won't learn. <laughs> anyway, so those are all those. <laughs> you're not alone, and and I'm every time you do it, it's going to get better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Groovy. So I'll pull aside. What do you have? Well, so uh, also uh, listener, um, not so much a question, uh, but we had a listener. Mm-hmm who wrote to thank us for uh, for just sheerly doing the podcast, which was pretty nice. Um, but she shared that she suffers from depression and how that has at times made it hard for her to head out for a ride. And she's on the East Coast, so winter's there. Don't make it any easier. Well, Philadelphia, she, I think she said. Yeah, yeah. It's hard around Philly, for sure. They get the, the ice, and, and it's hard to get out of the city anyway. Yeah, I don't envy anybody having to deal with all of that. You know, so while she didn't specifically ask uh, a question, I thought it would be helpful to address the issue that she raised of simply struggling to get out there. And here's the thing. You don't have to be depressed to have trouble giving yourself permission (laughs) to head out for a ride, right? These modern lives we live, you know, they're reasonably demanding, if not exceedingly demanding. And I think one of the truly important aspects of writing to remind yourself of when you're struggling to get out there is just how much better you will feel when you get back from the ride. It's easy to discount that in the moment. I know this because I've lived it. But if we all operated with the understanding that no matter how we feel, um, you know, we will feel better when we get back. Um, I, I really do get it. Uh, and sometimes there are days where the the time to get out there just doesn't exist. Uh, I've lived three of those in a row this week. Um, there's another piece of getting out for a ride that I think can make a difference, and that's having a routine. You know, if you establish a time to do your ride every day, that's very helpful. Or if you have more flexibility on the weekends, just establishing the same time during the week is pretty big. Setting an alarm of some sort, and I don't mean it has to be an alarm clock, but something to uh, alert you 
And part of what that does is it primes your brain to get ready for activity. Um, this is much less, you know, really about whether or not you can keep track of time, but rather just giving you a signal that serves as a conditioned stimulus. When that alarm sounds, you know to start getting ready. The other piece of a routine is just getting ready the same way before each ride. For me, I've got a specific routine and I keep everything in the same place so that I don't have to go hunt for it. Getting, mm -hmm. getting dressed starts with my heart rate monitor chest strap. And once I'm completely dressed, I mix a bottle or two before donning shoes, helmet, and glasses. And as I'm dry dressing, I'm thinking about what sort of ride I want to do so that by the time I get to my shoes, I know which bike I'm taking so I know which shoes to grab because I have like three different pedal systems going. <laughs> or I get maybe that. that's, yep. actually, I think it's more no. like five. Wow. <laughs> You know, um, yeah, so I really, I, I genuinely have to think about that. So hopefully other people have that piece a little simplified, but that, you know, having the routine and knowing, okay, I've done this. Now I do this next. It does so much to save time. And I think that we historically of cyclists have underestimated the value of how, doing a specific routine really prepares us mentally for going out for the ride so that by the time we get on the bike, it's like, yeah, we're going to ride now. It's not like somebody mm -hmm. has just walked up to you and handed you a bike and it's like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. So Celine, what are your tricks for uh, getting ready for a ride and keeping that time efficient? Uh, I have so many thoughts on all of this. Um, so many thoughts on all of this. Not, before I, I talk about that, just just a little bit about ways that I get out when motivation is low, uh -huh. you know, or when I'm sort of in that same headspace that, that you know, and I know it's going to be difficult, is that I keep when when I'm in when when the weather's not great and it's it's harder to get out and for whatever reason, you know, I I have an anchor attached to me. I try to honestly think of the thing that's going to be fun. Like, what is the thing that's that's very important to me? So I have a couple of just crappy day loops. You know, when it's when it's that way that I know, like, I'm going to grab the gravel bike and I'm going to go to the parkway and maybe I'll do the parkway backwards. I mean, she, you know, I don't know where in Philly she is, but I know that there's a lot of things, you know, like the SRT and go out to Belmont and maybe I'll do this. Like, if you have in your mind, like, what would actually be sort of engaging? I think that helps a lot. Like, yes. as opposed to I'm just going to slog out onto my same loops. That would be very, that's that's hard. It's just a harder thing. So I have like my go tos in my mind when it's like a super windy or super sloppy or su whatever it is, or I'm just not really feeling it. I, I, I don't even have to think. Like they're just things that I know that are going to be pretty or they're going to be fun or they're going to be just like let me just let my head wander a little bit. So I think that that if you if you can put together at least one sort of go to route like that, it can be very helpful when you live in a place where there is weather and all that kind of stuff or yeah whatever yeah um, I am very much and when you live on the East Coast, you have to be like there's it's like you could write a book about layering right for all the different conditions <laughs> yes. like. Is it a dry 30 degrees? Is it a wet 30 degrees? Is it, you know, we've talked about like how, th how the weather can feel so different and that requires. So I, I know 
at this point, I know the back of my hand. Like, if it's a wet 30 degrees, I'm going to grab this, 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 and this. And, you know, I just know those layers. Uh, I'm a big, 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 big fan of laying out your stuff. I'm a big fan of laying out your stuff. If, if you know that you are in any kind of time constraint, like, have your stuff together, whether you put it together the night before or whatever. Like, when I was training for Ironman, the last freaking thing in the world I ever wanted to do three times a week was get out of a warm bed at five o'clock and get into a cold pool at 5.30. So I made sure that I had my swim bag packed with everything and coffee maker good to go. So when my eyes popped open at five, I'm staring right at my freaking swim bag, which is ready to go with everything. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) you just don't, it, it takes away when you're in that space, any little barrier can stop you. Any barrier can stop you. So the more that you can knock those barriers down, and this is not just to people who are depressed, this is everybody. Yes. Everybody who's busy, everybody that's whatever. Any little barrier when you are not quite feeling it or you just, you know you're going to feel better when you go out, but you've got a million things. That whenever you're in that space, it's so easy. Like, now I can't find my freaking shoes. And where is this? And where, like, I don't know where my, it, it, it's so it's so easy. And cycling is not running. We can't just throw on our shoes and go out the door. Right. So I think that it's even more important to have your crap together because there's nothing worse than wasting 20 minutes just running up and down the steps. Oh, my glasses. Oh, this. Where's my heart rate? Where did I put that thing? Where are my gloves? Where? It's a mission. So I, I have, you know, my helmet and my glasses and stuff together. I have all the bottles with the drink stuff. I have everything at least clustered that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And then I make sure that I have stuff, my layers that I know that I'll need. And sometimes there's two options if I'm not quite sure. But everything is just super accessible. So once I start in motion, I'm, I already know what kind of ride I want to do. I already know where the stuff for that kind of ride is. So by the time I'm rolling out the door, I'm into it. Like I'm just, and there's been very few barriers in my way because I get it. Like once you start like throwing up all kinds of obstacles and you're annoyed and now you're frustrated with yourself and you start beating yourself up because you can't find your stuff. I mean, it, you can just become this thing. Like this whole thing. So that is, I, I think, especially as cyclists, it's just so important. Well, there's just I mean, so I much just gear. As you've, there's so as you've much gear. Observed, and, yeah. And and it can really, I mean, be. Not to belabor this, but I think that to your point, there's a lot about those kind of routines that are very good for you mentally, too, because they they set your mind to the task. Uh, you and I were talking before we, we started recording about like nerves and race nerves. And I was like, I am the queen of race nerves. I'm te- it's terrible. It's a terrible thing. So I just I getting into my routine helps me with that, you know, like. Packing, filling my bottles, packing my bags, having everything sorted. But you know, when whenever you can like establish that kind of thing, it gives your mind something else to think about and something to attend to, and you feel kind of successful because you are doing these things and getting it. Um, I, I think there's there's a lot to be said for that in all elements of our sport. Well, and what does predictability do? It removes the need to be anxious about something. You know, if you're following right. uh, a routine that you know that's been set, it it's it it eliminates a lot of unknown, and so that can help you become more relaxed. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and it it is it's a 
it's easy to be a junk show in this sport and have like your glove, like you know, right? <laughs> have your gloves all over the place, and you don't. And I am the, I am a junk show. I walk in after a ride, and I'm a bomb. I like shrapnel goes everywhere. My helmet's here, my glasses. Who knows where anything is? Like, so I try to make it as idiot proof as I can. When I come into the garage, we have an old coat rack hanger. Uh-huh. That's where my helmet goes. You know, like I just put hooks and stuff so I can just not get in my own way because I'm not a I'm very organized in my work life. I'm not organized anywhere else. I lose everything. I break everything. I lose everything. So I try to make sure that I I, I protect myself from myself. So <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the best yeah. way I can put it. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I'm with you uh, quite thoroughly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to take – I mean, getting your stuff together does not take a lot of time. And it's a little bit of a promise to yourself that you're going to do this thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the more of a routine it is, the quicker you get at it. Because you're yeah. not thinking about, okay, what's the next step? You know, at a certain point, you've done enough that it, you're just on autopilot. And Yeah, and you don't forget I mean, how many that. times – I have so many and, – and I'm not going to not – I – I'm not one to show up to an event without stuff. Like, because I'm very, um, because I'm insane. Like, I count, I look at, to make sure that my shoes are in my bag 17 times, even though I just put them there. Um, but if you have some sort of routine, you're also not going to be the guy that shows up to the race without your front skewer. You know, without your, <laughs> without the through axle uh, that goes in, or without, how many people have shown up at things without their shoes? Oh, or, I've done it. I've done it. Yeah. You know. It's. No helmet. I've had a friend who had to run to a Walmart and buy a helmet for a race, you know, before a... Well, that was, an, that was a pretty creative solution. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And it, he's lucky it was open any a time. I mean, it, you know, sometimes you could just be screwed. But <laughs> right. he, he, we got to the venue in enough time that he, he could just run and get a... Literally just a $30 head bucket to <laughs> get on the line with. Right. Uh, yeah, you're not going to pull that off in Occidental, California. No, you, there are many places you wouldn't, but yeah. you know, right outside of uh, Wilmington, Delaware, you can manage it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very cool. Well, thanks. Uh, well, uh, paceline picks. Sure, sure. Okay, sure. what you got? I I have. It's a new product that just got sent to me that uh, I just tried, and and it's uh, it's it's very sloppy today, so it's kind of wet. I usually don't ride with chamois butter. Uh-huh. It's not a. I don't usually really need it. Uh, there, there are, I make a couple exceptions to that when I know it's going to be raining, you know, or if it's going to be super wet, like I often will take a little bit of more precaution just because if the terrain is, uh, terrain is rough, but the chamois butter, which is one of the original chamois butter creams has come out with a coconut blend, Yes, uh, which is, yes, quite lovely. It's quite lovely. It's got coconut oil and shea butter and vitamin A and E and like tea tree oil and aloe vera. And it's also doing the really responsible things of having no parabens, no, uh, I'm not going to, I don't even know how to say the word, phalletitis? I don't even know how to say it. Thank you. Phalletes, yes. Thank you. Which are not good for human bodies. Exactly. That was not going to come out of me. And... It smells good. And I, I just think that I don't, you know, I think everyone has their own personal favorites, but this, this stuff was quite nice. And I, I would definitely put it in my, in my repertoire. I, I usually use, um, 
Okale stuff. It's uh, I like a, a waxy. Yeah. Like this, and that stuff I use when I went to Cape Epic because you want chamois butter when you're racing oh, for eight imagine. hours yeah. in South Africa, uh, and that stuff is. And when I did, when I was doing a lot of triathlons, I used it much more because mm-hmm. you get you're soaked. You know, you're getting out of the water, and the uh, Okale stuff was. Uh, I can't remember her name. Lokalani. It was a triathlete back in the day. She developed it, and it's it's. It is waxy and it's not going anywhere. So you know that that can be my second pick if you if you want two different chamois butters. That's I that has gotten me through crazy crazy situations. I may have to give that a try because there have been it's amazing. Yeah, there have been some really long days where uh, my chamois butter pooped out. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe that and was not the it, best descriptor. I, I was thinking that was not the best description, but. Um, but but I find like sometimes I put it on and I'm like, is this gonna do anything? You know, I won't say I won't say it, but it just doesn't seem like I could just put any lotion on. It doesn't seem like it's got enough to it. And this stuff is, I mean, the chamois butter is that that's a proven product. It's very good. But the next level in my mind is this Okale stuff because for me, and that waxy substance stays put. And what's also really nice about the Okale stuff is that if you do develop any sort of irritation, it's you can put it on after the fact, and it's healing, too. It's got mm. a lot of tea tree oil and all that stuff in it. It seems to just be a, a kind of a healing balm as well for if you if you don't have enough or if, if to your point, what you've worn is not sufficient. It, it seems to uh, to be I, – I, I've used it in lots of insane situations and I've been very, very happy with it. Mm. Okay, good to know. Yeah, I got the new chamois butter coconut as well. You and, did too. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I put it to use uh, last Saturday at the Grasshopper, and uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, good stuff. Uh, Is are you a chamois butter person? Is that your? Uh, I've tried so many. I've got so many different ones in my but I often inventory. Never wear it. Like. For um, me, it's not like some people. It's an every ride thing. No, or it's a, at no. Least, for me, it's, I I rarely use it it we've i've got to be assured that we're going to get past three and a half hours before i'm going oh i should do that today yeah yeah that's cool yeah Yeah. we're we're north of three and a half hours and then it's like oh don't forget um and i've got some that just lives in my bag um so uh i i you know it's there when i need it um and yeah it's this is nice and it's you know, it doesn't hurt that it smells really nice. It smells kind of delicious. It's nice that it smells. It's it does smell really nice. I, the co- the coconut is a really nice touch because it does. It's it smells super nice. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Alrighty, well, for my poll this week, I'm giving the nod to a company called SP Connect that produces a variety of products for active people, including cyclists, but not limited to. Mostly, I'm a fan of GPS units when it comes to ride ride data, you know, recording what I did and seeing whatever data I need while I'm out there. But honestly, I continue to encounter riders who who mount their smartphone to their bike for navigation and also just traditional bike computer functions. Yep. If you need to ride from point A to point B over roads you don't know and don't have time to build a route in Strava or ride with GPS... Using your smartphone is a good deal easier. <laughs> Honestly, it's yeah. easier even if you do have the time to build a route. Mm-hmm. Uh, at minimum, it's faster, right? 
In addition to making a case to mount on your bar, they also make front and rear lights to keep you visible to airheaded drivers, as well as mounts for cameras like GoPro or Cyclic. Uh, one of the more attractive features is that their modular mounting system will allow you to attach your smartphone to your bar, your stem, an armband if you were going for a run, or even your belt. There's even a car windshield mount so that you don't have to look in your lap to follow directions. It's really a cool. creative system. The one thing I see lacking, and I've asked them if they're planning to address it, and I honestly haven't heard back yet, is that you know I'd like to see them uh, create some sort of mount so that you can use uh, a Wahoo or Garmin or some other GPS unit with it. But everything's really well made. Uh, you know, they've uh, for the lights they've got um, uh, they've got a wireless charger that you can get. Um, but you know, it's it's simple, straightforward stuff, and a really creative modular system. So if you like dreaming up fresh solutions to stuff, this is something really worth looking into. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, there will be a link in our show notes uh, to their site. Awesome. Yeah. Celine, I really loved your piece about the takedown of, of Zwift oh, by yeah. Carmichael Training Systems. I, let's talk uh, about that a little bit. <laughs> did Did you watch the video? No, I haven't seen the video yet. Okay. You, you should, when you have a, when you're taking a break from whatever you're doing, you should, you should watch the video too for okay. the full effect because it was, it was very interesting. So for people who didn't see it, there was a Carmichael training coach, Dylan Johnson, who who eviscerated Zwift training programs in a in a YouTube video. And I and he he really did. I mean he went he said numerous times how much he likes Zwift and uses Zwift, but boy oh boy, he ripped their training plans and their workouts apart. Uh, it, it, well, I, I, in a way, it was it was it was jarring because I've you know I mean you see people sort of you know make remarks that you that you can tell that they don't necessarily think highly of other training systems or whatever, but I you rarely see that kind of just smackdown, uh, and it was fascinating to me because I was just like, do you really think is Zwift taking that much? I couldn't tell if it was. If it because he was truly just insulted by it, or if he thought that you know Zwift was sort of leaving their lane and taking more too much training from, so the this, the the bottom line is this. So so he was, and as I said in my piece, he was not wrong. A lot of the Zwift training plans, they're not built for, they're not periodized like that. It's more like taking a spin class where it's. You know they're trying to keep you entertained and engaged on your bike and your yep. trainer, and the only way to do that, you're not going to sit there and do twenty by twenties, right? Like two by twenty. <laughs> like won't. you're just not. Well, who would? You'd be bored out of your mind, even at Zwift. So they they keep you <laughs> yes. moving. It doesn't always make sense, whatever. And his point is, if you do that, you could end up, and a lot of people do, doing up high intensity intervals four times a week, not doing any of them correctly or with quality. If you do that all the winter, you're going to come out flying in April and May and then just have nowhere to go come July. I get it. Like, he's he's not wrong. But I, I really kept thinking, like, you're missing, you're missing the larger picture, which millions of people around the globe who love Zwift are not missing. Is that, <laughs> yes. right? Is, is that they're using it, like, like Dave, my husband, who I mentioned in the piece, 
He has had a trainer as long as I've known him before. I've seen him ride it twice <laughs> until Zwift. And now, no lie, it's been two and a half hours. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> like, what What are you doing? Like, and he's like, and he, that's, he's way fitter than doing nothing. Oh, yeah. And he does not, he does not care. He doesn't even know if he's peaking. I love, like, he, like that, that means nothing. Like, oh, I want to peak too early. Like, what, he doesn't need, like, that doesn't, that's not the point. Like, when he pins on a number, he just wants to have fun and feel good. Right? Like, so for that customer you've that just opens a door and if they get hooked on training they're they're going to then they'll seek those other avenues they'll seek a cts or they'll seek a training peaks but i thought this this really interesting just sort of aggressive take was a, just a little over the top just yeah i mean you know the thing that i thought when i first saw what had taken place, you know, hadn't watched the video yet. And then, you know, uh, once I was a couple sentences into your piece, the thing that I immediately thought was, well, yeah, I mean, there's this incredible uh, buffet of all these different workouts. And really what CTS ought to be doing is, you know, coming up with another sort of coaching plan where they tell you the sequence of which Zwift workouts to do. You know, You're here's your periodized plan. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to help you select the right workouts so that you get the most out of each and every visit to Zwift. Um, yeah, I think they were upset because Zwift had actual things that were they called they called FTP builders, like you th like actual plans. So I think that I really think it was like, oh, they're like encroaching on, you know, and they're not doing it well and whatever. But to your point, it's so much more productive mm -hmm. to say, hey, you know, we know you like Zwift and you know, some of them are not really personalized and it might be not be your best interest here. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. Yep. Work with them. I know so many coaches, like when I was at the coaching summit, uh, whenever that was this past fall, Zwift was one of the keynote sort of luncheon speakers and there were a lot of people just not sure they loved Zwift because they felt like Zwift is a, is taking away from them but I really don't think they are. I just don't think it's the same. I don't think the same people they would hire a coach. I don't think those people would hire a coach that are going to Zwift and 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 using those programs. I think they're just using those programs because they're there. Yeah. Oh yeah, well they want to they want to think that their time is being used in as uh beneficial and productive a manner as possible. Um, you know, I'm going to be on this thing for an hour. You know, how do I get the most out of this hour? And if you've yeah. got a, a selection of things that you're going to be guided through that you don't have to remember, okay, 15, 14, 13. Oh, if you're yeah. not doing that yourself, you know, why wouldn't you do some sort of structured thing? You're still seeing all the same terrain in Watopia or the totally. Richmond World course. Uh, you know, when I get on Zwift, I do one of the structured workouts. Absolutely. You know? I try to think about whether or not it's the thing I ought to be doing that day or not. Yeah, yeah, you have the experience to, to do that. And I think that most people wouldn't take them long to figure out, like, oh, I was really torched after that thing. Maybe I won't do four in a row. Right. Right? I mean, I, I think that <laughs> yes. the people, yeah. So, yeah, you can check it out in the, the show notes. But it was it was very interesting. I've not, I've not seen something quite like that before. <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah, I'll have to watch that uh, later this evening. So one of my contributors, Jennifer Schofield, wrote a terrific piece about a ride in Mexico 
that took a little bit more out of her than she expected. Uh, it's one of those misadventures that can't help but make you laugh and just being grateful for the opportunity to be out on a bike. It It is absolute proof that any bike is better than no bike. All right. Yeah. I will check that out. Like I said last week, we've been loving the requests for segments on the show. You all have been sending some great stuff. If you've got an idea, we want to hear it. Before we go, I'd like to put a plug in for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Terry Gross for Cyclists. This week's show is an interview with Brad Devaney of Lightspeed Bicycles, a guy whose experience far outstrips his name recognition. We hope you have enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.